From claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth the hunt. EWTN Radio presents The Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter Radio Show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter. We've got a great show ahead for you today. Uh, Coming up on February 2nd is the feast day of one of the little-known but approved Marian apparitions in the Catholic Church, Our Lady of Good Success, uh, whose feast day is on February 2nd, uh, coming out of Quito, Ecuador. We'll be talking to Matthew Arnold, the absolute expert on uh, this Marian devotion. And later in the show, we'll be connecting with Sister Mark Randall from the Carmelite Sisters of the Aged and Infirm, and we'll be talking about a might-be saint, Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory, Uh, We did an episode of of hers on uh, the EWTN program, They Might Be Saints. We'll be connecting with uh, Sister Mark about any updates to that canonization cause. For people who want to uh, check out some television, you can uh, go to EWTN.com and go to the uh, EWTN.com slash TV and check out the schedule. And on the schedule, you'll see two shows coming up of mine on January 31st. That's a Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The episode about Father Aloysius Schwartz, and he's a canonization candidate who dedicated his life to working with the poorest of the poor, establishing youth uh, programs, founding religious orders that still serve his worldwide mission long after his death. And that one was a true honor to film traveling to Mexico and going to uh, Chalco and uh, other places that uh, Father Al Schwartz uh, set up to help thousands and thousands of children there and in uh, Korea and in the Philippines and all around the world. Uh, absolutely amazing priest who's a venerable now. So that episode uh, focuses on the life of Father Al Schwartz. And if you're looking for an episode of Explore with the Miracle Hunter on Saturday, January 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, you can travel with me to France and going to Pont-Maine, where the Virgin Mary, under the title Our Lady of Hope, appeared to farm children and to an army precipitating the end of the Franco-Prussian War. And that's January 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Explore with the Miracle Hunter. And later in today's show, we're going to be looking, like we always do, at the 365 Days with Mary project. For today, January 27th, we've got Our Lady of the Pillar from Castanasso in Italy in the year 1699. And the might-be saint of the day is Blessed Antonio Mascaro Colomina, Uh, who lived from 1913 to 1937 in Spain and was a martyr. And the question of the week, why does the local bishop get to decide if an apparition is true or false? I'll do my best to answer that one later in the show. And we'll be doing the segment, The Miracle of the Day, uh, as we do for each and every day of the calendar year. This is something new we're doing for 2024. The Miracle of the Day is an earthquake in Montenero, Italy. January 27th, 1472. We'll tell you more about that in just a little bit. Let's take a look at the miracle news. We do this uh, every week where we look at the miracles uh, happening around the world and those things that relate to miracles. And there was pretty big miracle news in the sense of we have the canonization of a saint coming up. And it's been uh, all of 2023, there were no canonizations of saints. And uh, just this past week on Wednesday, January 24th, uh, the Holy Father, Pope Francis, received an audience, his most reverend eminence, Cardinal Semeraro, the prefect for the dicastery for the cause of saints. And during this audience, the Pope authorized this dicastery to promulgate uh, several new decrees, including um, a miracle attributed to the intercession of Blessed Marie Leonie Paradis. She was born in Virginia Elodia, and she's the founder of the congregation, the Little Sisters of the Holy Family, born in Canada on May 12, 1840, and died in Sherbrooke on May uh, May 3rd, 1912. And so uh, she's the one who will be going forward towards sainthood. And so um, for this canonization of Marie Leonie Paradis, the postulation of her cause presented to the dicastery's examination, the alleged miraculous healing attributed to her intercession of a newborn baby from prolonged perinatal asphyxia with multiple, multiple organ failure and encephalopathy. And on October 30th, 1986, the mother at the 41st week of gestation arrived at the hospital in uh, in Quebec and she went into labor with spontaneous contractions. And during the last stages of labor, doctors found a significant deceleration of the fetal heartbeat with signs of prenatal hypoxia. And the pregnant woman was transferred to the delivery room at 10.19 p.m. 
The baby girl was born spontaneously with no respiratory activity, and after a minute of life, the heartbeats resumed, but the newborn did not react to stimulation. She was immediately resuscitated with respiratory assistance, but with poor results, therefore, she was intubated and subjected to intensive care about an hour after her birth. The first spontaneous movements were noted in her baby, although uh, hypotonia and poor reaction to stimuli persisted, and hypotonia, I suppose, uh, the following day, on October 31st, 1986, just under two hours after giving birth, the newborn was transferred to the Montreal Children's Hospital, which was better equipped in neonatal care. And during the second night after her the birth, between uh, October 31st and Saturday, November 1st, Marie Leonel Paradis was invoked. A second invocation was made the following Monday, November 3rd. On November 9th, 1986, 10 days after her birth, the newborn was discharged in good health and without any prescriptions of any drugs or therapy. And uh, today, uh, she is a young woman who teaches languages. That's the child who uh, survived in that case, in that miracle. So uh, that's the miracle news for today. Uh, we have a new saint coming up, uh, and that will be uh, Blessed Marie Leonie Paradis will now be Saint Marie Leonie Paradis. So absolutely amazing story. Let's take a look at Catholic Pub Trivia. We do this every week where we ask a trivia question and give out a prize, uh, the Miracle Hunter image of the faces of Mary. We were talking last week about Venerable Bishop Berga with the uh, executive director of the Bishop Berga Foundation, and that was Lenora McKean. Great interview last week. Uh, connect to uh, EWTN.com radio or download the free EWTN app to listen to that uh, amazing interview. And the question last week kind of related to Bishop Berga. We, as I said, we talked about Bishop Berga, and the question was, what is the name of a fellow priest, uh, an Italian from Wisconsin, also known for his missionary work like Bishop Berga, was a friend of Bishop Berga, and who is on the path to sainthood himself? And the answer to that was Father Samuel Mazzucchelli. And writing in with the correct answer was Deacon Roger Skolbrook from Wisconsin. Uh, who came up with that answer, uh, Father Mazzucchelli. And I guess it's appropriate if that bishop was, or that priest was from Wisconsin, we have somebody from Wisconsin answering that question correctly. So thank you so much for writing in that with that answer, and we'll be sending you out the prize, the image of the faces of Mary. And the question for this week is, we're talking today about Our Lady of Good Success from Quito in Ecuador, which according to uh, the reports happened in 1594. The question is, what is the only Marian apparition in history that has been fully investigated and approved by the Catholic Church that occurred before Our Lady of Good Success in 1594? If you think you know that answer and want to win the prize, the image of the faces of Mary, send me an email to miraclehunter at ewtn.com or just go to my website, miraclehunter.com, and send me a message that way. Answers and winners will be posted on the show page on Miracle Hunter. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about the apparition of Our Lady of Good Success in Quito, Ecuador, with Matthew Arnold. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. We talk a lot about Marian apparitions on this show, uh, dating back uh, hundreds of years, perhaps. We talk about 1545 to 1563 being the Council of Trent, which is when they first started the investigative process uh, related to uh, Marian apparitions. And so uh, we have an apparition happening very early on uh, in that uh, in that time, which would be 1594, which is, uh, there are various dates that are given for Our Lady of Good Success, which happened in Quito in Ecuador, and whose feast day is celebrated on February 2nd. And uh, it's a big one because uh, people always talk about what are the prophecies of Marian apparitions. And uh, there are a few uh, notable ones. Uh, we talk about Pont Main, perhaps. Uh, we, we talk, of course, about Fatima. But if you look at Our Lady of Good Success, an apparition that happened perhaps as early as the 1500s, we see some prophecies that are pretty spot on for the 20th century and beyond in our modern world. So I find that to be absolutely remarkable. We're joined today by an absolute expert on Our Lady of Good Success, and that is Matthew Arnold. Uh, we're excited to hear his uh, take 
on this apparition from centuries ago. Thanks for joining us again, Matthew Arnold. It's great to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's always great to have you back. And uh, Our Lady of Good Success is a fascinating Marian apparition that if you ask most Americans, even uh, devout Catholics or people who are interested in uh, Marian devotion and things like apparitions, they might not know about. Uh, How is it that you first learned about Our Lady of Good Success? Okay, well, you know, it's it's a... Odyssey. I went to work for St. Joseph Communications back in 1998, and somebody uh, emailed me about it. And I, but I couldn't find any information about it on the internet. I mean, there was virtually nothing about Our Lady of Good Success. And I thought, well, you know, that uh, until I can vet this, you know, I'm, I just I, there's lots and lots of Marian apparitions, of course, and uh, and of course, in the prophecies that they were talking about seemed uh, kind of spot on to be genuine, you know. And then uh, a couple of years later, um, actually after the turn of the century, I found a book about Our Lady of Good Success, and I got it from my wife for Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, she was very interested in it. And then we found out that a priest that we knew was going to go to Ecuador, and she said, oh, you've got to go. You should go down there and, and you know, make a, a documentary about it, which is, you know, kind of what I was doing at the time. And I said, gee whiz, honey, I, you know, my passport's expired, and, and uh, I don't know anybody down there, and uh, you have to have permission to bring cameras into places, you know. <laughs> You know, I, I know I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, and uh, the, the rosary was very pivotal. And, you know, it, it seems like if my wife and the Blessed Virgin Mary gang up on me, then, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> there's, there's nothing to do but comply at that point. So I, I flew down there, and honestly, the doors opened like magic. It was it was amazing. Uh, in fact, when I was interviewing the Mother Abbess there, they allowed me into the cloister, camera and all, and I did a uh, interview with her, and she said, we've been waiting for you. And not me personally, but someone from the Anglophone world to come and, and uh, uh, promote this devotion. And I've been doing it ever since. Wonderful. And uh, people are probably wondering now, those people who haven't heard of Nuestra Señora de Buen, Buen Suceso, or Lady of Good Success, mm-hmm. what is this Marian title anyway? It, it's kind of got a funny ring to it, doesn't it? It does, I, especially to 21st century American ears. I always say it. Our Lady of Good Success sounds like uh, some kind of Catholic version of the health and wealth gospel, right? <laughs> Our Lady of the Big Payoff. Well, that's mm-hmm. not what it means at all. Uh, good success, Buen Suceso in Spanish means great event, technically. So her title, and, and devotion to, to Our Lady of Good Success actually goes back to Spain in the 11th century, at least that far back. And, but in the New World, in Ecuador, the Conceptionist Sisters there are devoted to her under the title, as you said, Nuestra Señora del Buen Suceso de la Purificación, which is Our Lady of the Great Event of the Purification, right, or the Feast of the Presentation. Mm-hmm. That's when Our Lady offered Jesus in the temple. Uh, and they point out that's the greatest offering that was ever made in the Temple of Jerusalem. And that, uh, you know, uh, back in 2017, the Sisters actually put out a, a letter, kind of a general letter to people around the world that were devoted to her. And, and they said that her role as co-redemptrix didn't start at the foot of the cross, but even at the moment of the presentation, she was already acting in that capacity, because you know, it says the offering of her divine Son is accompanied with a complete offering of herself. Christ the Redeemer is offering himself, the co-redemptrix, Virgin Mother of God offering Christ, uh, the Blessed Virgin completely offering herself as the greatest sacrifice ever to take place in the temple. And all the graces that you know we receive through the sacraments come to us primarily through the priesthood. You know, and without the priesthood, you know, those channels of grace are cut off. And so they're, they are particularly devoted to praying for vocations. Wonderful. And um, if, if we kind of detail some of the events that happened, uh, there, there's some miraculous statue, you might say, in, in Marian apparitions, and you have a, um, the visionary who's now incorrupt um, and mm-hmm. is venerable in our church. There are various aspects that are absolutely uh, remarkable about this and not even getting into uh, the prophecies, which, which are amazing. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the sequence of events that happened, uh, especially related to the visionary. Right. Well, um, Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres uh, was a, a novice in Spain who left for the New World in the late 1500s, as you mentioned. And I believe it was 1594. During this, the passage, there was a storm at sea where she had a vision of uh, you know, the seven-headed dragon of Revelation trying to swamp the boat and the Blessed Virgin Mary you know, putting a halt to it. So the, the visions really began then. When she got to the cloister and then she became a nun, she was fully professed. She became the abbess of the convent in 1599. Our Lady appeared to her when she was at prayer in the upper choir of the church, uh, and she, she beheld a, a vision of the Trinity in the tabernacle. And then she said that, you know, the, the archangels were there. And, uh, and the Blessed, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to her in 1599, 
and said she wanted a statue made, uh, a statue of her holding the infant Jesus in her left hand and, and the crozier and keys in her right hand, which symbolizes the uh, her being the perpetual abbess of the convent, right, her uh, authority over the convent. And Mother Mariana, actually, at first, um, she was afraid to go to the bishop to ask to have the statue made because she thought that uh, he might not believe her. And so actually 10 years went by. And uh, the Blessed Virgin appeared to uh, Mother Mariana and said, you know, you, you can't wait any longer. And she actually reprimanded her for the, the fault of, uh, you know, of being disobedient to her. Hmm. Which I guess if you want to motivate a cloistered nun, that's the way to do it, <laughs> have the Blessed Virgin show up. <laughs> so she went and, saw the, went and saw the bishop the next day, and he was all for it. So they started work on the statue. They had a local sculptor there making it. But then um, he went to Colombia to buy Spanish paint paint the statue, because that's the way they do it in, in the Quito Baroque style. The statues are made from wood that, that's then painted uh, realistically and, and polished. And he went off to, to, uh, to get the paint, promising to return in time to uh, uh, have the statue ready for the feast day, which is February the 2nd, and that would have been February 2nd, 1611, uh, right? But in January, when he went there, uh, Mother Mariana, now, as I was saying, she was praying. She saw this vision of the archangels. They appeared with her, and uh, their found, her, the founder of their uh, order, St. Francis of Assisi, and the angels actually completed the statue. Uh, she said that um, when they were finished, that Francis of Assisi placed his own cincture around the, the statue's waist, and she says the presence of Mary entered into the statue and sang the Magnificat. Hmm. Right, so this is, this is quite quite miraculous. Anyway, the, the the sculptor returns. He and the bishop, well, he goes into the cloister, sees the statue, and says, no human hand has done this, calls for the bishop, who has the same reaction. They, you know, uh, write out a testimony that it was a miracle, and they have it notarized. And I remember seeing the statue there. I thought, you know, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful statue, but is it the most beautiful in the world? Is it the most, you know, I mean, right. that... Uh, statues of the Blessed Virgin, you know, uh, more artists have used her as a model than any other woman that ever mm-hmm. lived. There's a lot of a lot of beautiful art. But the reason they believed it was a miracle is that the statue was not merely finished, it was transformed. Mm-hmm. It had changed from the sculpture that he had done to one that uh, more accurately represented her vision. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's there on display. I mean, it's in the cloister uh, during the year, but on the, uh, the novena, preceding the feast day, they bring it into the cloister or bring it into the church proper and put it in the sanctuary so people can come and and see the statue. And I believe also in in the month of May they do that as well. Wonderful. Well I look forward to seeing that in person. We're talking today with Matthew Arnold, expert on Our Lady of Good Success, about this uh, fascinating devotion that stemmed from an apparition dating back to as early as fifteen ninety four. And uh one of the things that uh, really stands out about this, I mean, we, we do have these remarkable aspects that you're talking about, this very holy visionary, this uh, this statue mm-hmm. uh, uh, modified by angels, you might say. Uh, and But the prophecies are the thing that really lasts in people's mind, I think. Uh, things that talk about the, tw- they reference the 20th century and uh, mm-hmm. could have never been predicted, could have never been prophesied. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the things that are noteworthy coming coming out of those prophecies. Sure. Well, you know, the, the, the prophecies, um, as we think of them, you know, this happened over the course of 40 years, uh, and seven appearances of the Blessed Virgin and, and these various prophecies that she made. Uh, and the most striking for us is that she said there would be a great crisis of faith in both the world and the Church that would re- reach a critical point in the middle of the 20th century or just, just after the midpoint of the 20th century, which, you know, I was there. It was the 60s, we called it. <laughs> and there really was uh, this, this uh, you know, societal upheaval, sexual revolution, and, and the beginning of the breakdown of traditional values, which has come to a, I mean, it's like a fever pitch in our own days. Um, when Our Lady showed Mother Mariana a vision of the modern situation, she says in her memoir that if she had not been miraculously sustained, the shock would have killed her. Mm. You know, and it's, you, you know, imagine the, the, the reaction of a 16th century cloistered nun, right, the height of the Counter-Reformation, mm-hmm. seeing, you know, w- what was going to transpire in the Church. Uh, Our Lady told her 
that there would be an almost total and general corruption of customs. You know, and again, that's that's <laughs> seems pretty accurate, especially in the church. You know, we think about just uh, mass attendance. You know, in, in our own country, it's down to less than 25%, and in some places, it's in the single digits. You know, that, that's, that would have been inconceivable at that time. She said, innocence will almost no longer be found in children, nor modesty in women. Right? And there'll be almost no virgin souls. And again, when you think about, well, like you mentioned Our Lady of Fatima, talking about scandalous fashions that, uh, that would displease our Lord. And as far as the innocence of children is concerned, gosh, it's under constant attack. Uh, day and night, especially not just through TV and the internet, but that uh, that diabolical rectangle that every child carries in their pocket now. <laughs> you know, it's just just amazing. But then she also spoke about all the sacraments being uh, being profaned. That especially, she said, the sacrament of matrimony will will be attacked, and iniquitous laws would make it easy to live in sin. And it's like, boy, and we've gone we've gone beyond just living in sin, haven't we? To living in the sins of the crowd to heaven for vengeance. Um, and but even uh, just since the middle '60s to the turn of the century, we saw Catholic annulments go from 338 in the, in 1968 to over 50,000 mm-hmm. in 2002. You know that's 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 a lot of people uh, entering into the sacrament of matrimony without knowing what's you know what they're really doing. Obviously, if the Church is going to grant that many annulments, that that many uh, marriages were really impeded somehow. Uh, and she talked about the Blessed Sacrament. Um, she said, in this epoch, the enemies of Jesus Christ, instigated by the demon, will steal consecrated hosts from the churches so they might profane the Eucharistic species. My Most Holy Son will see himself cast upon the ground and trampled upon by irreverent feet. And I'm sorry to say that there, you know, that's a real thing, that, that people who are, um, you know, have diabolical intentions will go into Catholic churches uh, just to uh, procure a consecrated host. And of course, in 1590-whatever, in the only way to get a consecrated host would have been by stealth or by force, right? You either, mm-hmm. you either break into the church in the middle of the night or you, or you hold a priest at gunpoint. And now, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm in sales, not in management. I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, accusing anybody of doing anything that's uh, not <clears throat> in line with what the church is allowing currently. But virtually anybody can walk into any Catholic church in the world, hold out their hands, and receive a host. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we live at a time where uh, priests and deacons and people who are extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion really need to be aware. They need to be paying attention and make sure that people that they that uh, receive in the hand are actually consuming that host. Uh, you know, what, amazing, what they say? Amazing, amazing prophecies that uh, oh, yeah, uh, no ring question. true uh, in, in an unfortunate way in our world today. Right. We've been talking today with Matthew Arnold, expert on Our Lady of Good Success, about some of the amazing prophecies from the 1500s and beyond uh, that uh, have, we've seen come to come to bear in the 20th century and beyond. And so, uh, going forward, uh, Matthew, as we uh, mm-hmm. try to uh, not get too uh, depressed about the accuracy of these <laughs> statements, how do we yeah. uh, how do we take the message of Our Lady of Good Success? And, and helped uh, to grow in uh, love of the Virgin Mary and of her son. Uh, the message of Our Lady of Good Success is a message of hope, because after all these dire predictions, Our Lady uh, said to Mother Mariana, just when everything would seem lost and paralyzed, that will mark the arrival of my hour, when I will crush the head of the proud Satan under my feet. All right? She promises a, a marvelous, and that's, that's the word uh, translated from Spanish, a marvelous restoration of uh, the Church and the, our uh, culture and society. And that is, that, that's a great consolation. And she said that um, those who were devoted to her in this time, in this epoch, that devotion to her would be a great consolation. And that's the thing, and you know, and and we can recognize. I think we can see signs of the restoration, even in the midst of all the crazy stuff that's going on. Uh, and especially, I think of what Saint Hilary of Poitiers said: that it's a prerogative of the Church that she's the vanquisher when she's persecuted, that she captures uh, intellects when her doctrines are questioned, that she conquers all at the very moment when she's abandoned by all. Hmm. And uh, and the Blessed Virgin said, and I think this is really key. 
to Marian devotion in the 21st century, she said that um, in this in this epoch there will be great devotion to me for and here's the quote: "I am queen of heaven under many invocations." Hmm. Right. That's the thing to remember. It's all Mary. That's right. <laughs> right. There's all all of these devotions: Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know. Uh, it's, it's Our Lady of Lords. It's all Mary. It's all the same Mary. That's right. And we've been talking today with Matthew Arnold about Our Lady of Good Success, uh, one of the most incredible uh, Marian apparitions in history uh, coming out of Quito in Ecuador. And uh, tell us, Matthew, where can people find out more about Our Lady of Good Su- Success and you and perhaps uh, new things that are coming out related to Our Lady of Good Success? Sure. I, well, I have a... a production company, Pro Multis Media, so and that's P-R-O-M-U-L-T-I-S Media, and uh, you can go to promultismedia.com. You can look up Our Lady of Good Success DVD, and you will find that the documentary film that I did back in, uh, way back in 2007, and I wrote a booklet on it also about uh, Mary of Good Success, and that's all available online. Also, coming up this later uh, in, in February, <coughs> um, Sophia Press is publishing a book by Jim Valois about Our Lady of Good Success, and uh, they approached me about uh, endorsing it, and actually uh, I wound up writing a foreword for the book. So that's also coming out next month, more uh, uh, information about Our Lady of Good Success. And he does a fine job of, of telling the story, which obviously we just barely touched on today, and then also the various implications of the, the prophecies and uh, and. Uh, hopefully the fulfillment of that final prophecy of that great restoration. Wonderful. Well, we're excited uh, to check out that book, Our Lady's Prophecies from Sophia Institute Press, uh, and your forward to the book. And we can listen to your uh, podcast, No Nonsense Catholic. When does that come on? Um, well, you know what? Uh, I, there's a new one every Monday, and it is available every place on virtually every podcast platform. Wonderful. So you just search well, No Nonsense Catholic. Well, we're so grateful to you, Matthew Arnold, for shedding some light on the fascinating apparition of Our Lady of Good Success. Thanks so much for joining us on today's program. It's always an honor to be here, Michael. Thank you. God bless. That was Matthew Arnold. Uh, Check out him and his great work, No Nonsense Catholic, and the new book, Our Our Lady's Prophecies. Uh, We'll see his his forward to that book. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at the question of the week. Why does the local bishop get to decide if an apparition is true or false? Stay with us for that answer. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. Hey, I love getting your questions. People write in from around the world with questions about miracles happening in today's world and those that have happened centuries ago. And uh, people email in uh, all the time, and I try my best to respond when I can, or I answer them on the show. Uh, But I really enjoy answering questions in front of an audience. And so when I travel around, I give 20 talks or so in any calendar year. We're talking about to parishes or conferences or uh, other events, and uh, I'll give a talk for about 45 minutes. These days I've been speaking a lot about Eucharistic miracles because uh, this is a time of Eucharistic revival uh, in our church in the United States, and a lot of parishes are trying to look for programming related to Eucharistic miracles. So that's been my major topic uh, this year. And But after I speak for 45 minutes to an hour, then afterwards I'll always open it up for questions. Sometimes it goes 15, 20, 30, and beyond minutes. People have so many questions. I'm always curious what people are thinking about, and I like to do my best to uh, try to answer them. So we had a question coming in uh, for this week. It says, Dear Miracle Hunter, why does the local bishop get to decide if an apparition is true or false? And that's from Jenny. And thanks, Jenny, for for your question uh, relating to bishops deciding about apparitions. And I think we've seen in some cases throughout history, or even modern history, where a local bishop in his diocese will say one thing, and perhaps uh, bishops in other dioceses from around the world will pipe up and say they believe in that or don't believe in that. But they always leave it to the local bishop. And and that sort of uh, goes along the lines of the principle of subsidiarity, where uh, it go, always goes down to the lo, the low the lowest local level uh, first before any other uh, decisions are made. 
And of course, the Vatican may be involved at some point, or the local bishops' conference may be involved at some point. But it's always the local bishop who's sort of on the ground and uh, has the best eye view of what's going on with a case of any miracle or apparition. And also, you might say that uh, it's in his backyard and it affects him the most, uh, that local bishop. So it probably makes sense for him to be the one uh, to be doing that, because oftentimes in claims of apparitions, if they're popular, you'll see big crowds coming out and uh, many people with uh, a lot of emotions uh, getting getting involved in a situation like that. And we might say, where does this come from, um, the idea that the local bishop is the main authority? We can look at this 1978 document uh, from the Vatican, the norms of the Congregation for Proceeding and Judging Alleged Private Revelations and Apparitions, and that lists out the whole rule book of how the Catholic Church uh, looks at apparitions. No newer document has been released. So that 1978 document, which was re- released sub-secreto, meaning secretly, uh, around around the world to the bishops, uh, that's the document that's in play and that's been used in the examination of, of apparitions like Our Lady of Good Help uh, in 2010. Bishop David Elrican uh, used that document. You can tell by his statement that he goes through it step by step when he makes his announcement. Um, So in that document, it says the local bishop is the primary authority when it comes to the investigation of uh, Marian apparitions. And then the local bishop or the bishop's conference of that country can intervene if necessary. And then the Vatican can intervene if necessary after that. Uh, We look at a case like Medjugorje, perhaps, where we've seen the local bishop uh, making some sort of a judgment. 1991, the Zadar Declaration of the Yugoslavian bishops, and then the the Ruini Commission happening in uh, at the establishment of uh, Pope Benedict and then going forward to uh, Pope Francis after that. So uh, we can see the escalating levels of church authority, but it always starts with the local bishop uh, to make a decision about uh, the supernaturality of an apparition claim. So thanks so much, Jenny, for your question. And if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, you can send me an email to miraclehunter or questions at miraclehunter.com and maybe I'll be answering your question on the air next week. Let's take a look at the 365 Days with Mary project. We do this every week where we look at the Marian devotion of the day as it lines up exactly to that day's date. You all know Fatima, May 13th, or Lourdes, February 11th, or Guadalupe, December 12th. But believe it or not, there's a different Marian devotion, a Marian title that lines up to each and every day of the calendar year. We're talking about feast days and miracles and uh, the building of basilicas and other ways that Mary is honored every day throughout the year. And so for today's day, January 27th, we've got Our Lady of the Pillar from Castanasso in Italy in the year 1699. And the story goes that a painting in 1672 of Our Lady of the Pillar, the famous appearance of the Apostle St. James in Saragossa, Spain, was placed in a small town of Castanasso. On January 27, 1699, Maria Madalena Azzaroni breezed by the chapel on her way to her aunt's house to get some oil. And she skipped saying her usual brief prayer, and she heard a voice, Maria Madalena, have you given up on your devotions to the Madonna? And she went back. And the Virgin Mary stepped out of the painting with her arms outstretched and asked for her faithful devotion. And the church approved this prodigy four years later, and a sanctuary was constructed. Madalena entered a convent some time later. So that's the amazing story of Our Lady of the Pillar from Castanasso in Italy in 1699. For more information on this fascinating devotion or any of the other hundreds of Marian devotions from around the world, you can get connect to the Facebook page of 365 Days with Mary. Go to the website, 365dayswithmary.com, or download the free app, 365 Days with Mary, Marian Calendar, if you go to the Apple App Store, and you can pick that one up and join any of the other thousands of people who are looking at the Marian devotion each and every day of the calendar year. Let's take a look now at the miracle of the day. This is a new segment we're doing uh, for 2024 about miracles happening exactly on the day date uh, throughout the world, uh, throughout history. And for today, we have the Madonna de Montenero in uh, just south of Pisa in the Tuscany region of Italy. Our Lady is venerated for a miraculous appearance of her image to a crippled shepherd boy on the side of a mountain in 1345. And there's a voice asked him to take uh, this uh, image to the top of the mountain because of the physical condition. Uh, He wavered but was told not to worry, and he struggled to fulfill his mission. And when he reached the top, he stopped to gather his strength, and it was at that point he felt a strange tingling in his leg, and he rose as a new person and ran to tell his parents, carrying the crutch he no longer needed. 
And uh, that's sort of the background of this miracle. There are many wondrous stories of Our Lady of Montenero and many miraculous events attributed to her. Uh, But the big one, tradition says, that it was through her intercession that the city was saved from the devastation of an earthquake on January 27th, 1472. And uh, it was was an incredible thing where the entire town prayed and the earthquake uh, did not uh, devastate their, 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 their city. So that's January 7th. 1472, the miracle of the day. Let's take a look at the sainthood news. We always do this where we connect about uh, They Might Be Saints, which is a television series that airs on EWTN on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And we're talking about people on the path to sainthood, servants of God, venerables, blesseds, before they have all their miracles and are declared saints by Rome. And so uh, we always like to give, keep you up to date uh, about that show. And you can pick up the book, They Might Be Saints, at EWTNRC.com, my book on the topic. But just this week, we had some new uh, sainthood news uh, talking about people coming out down the pipeline. And so on Wednesday, January 4th, uh, the Pope Francis received an audience, his most reverend Cardinal Emer- Marcelo Semeraro, the prefect of the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. And during this audience, the Pope authorized the same dicastery to promulgate six new decrees, including one related to a, the martyrdom of the servant of God, Mikko Rapage, a diocesan priest born September 14, 1904, in Tenzin in Poland, and he was killed out of hatred of the faith in Odium Fidei on May 12, 1946, near Ploki in Poland. And he was a diocesan priest, and... Uh, the idea of his murder arose in the context of hatred against Christianity. He was killed because of his pastoral activity, which was disliked by the regime, and his assassination presents the typical characteristic of crimes perpetrated by communists. And so that was from the uh, Dicastery for the Causes of Saints website relating to uh, this new uh, blessed, as he'll be, Michael Rapaj, and with one miracle, he will move on from blessed, and he will be named uh, a saint. And uh, if we look at the might be saint of the day, we do this every week as well. We try to find a somebody whose feast day or death anniversary lands exactly on the day's date. And today, and we're talking about, again, servants of God, venerables, and blesseds. We've got blessed Antonio Mascaro from Colomina in Spain. And he was born on January 27th, or his feast day is January 27th. He was born on March 12th, 1913 in Elbelda in Huesca in Spain. And he was a professed cleric in the Sons of the Holy Family. In 1935 to 36, he was in the military, serving during the week and studying in seminary uh, when he was off duty. And at the beginning of the Spanish Civil War, the seminary closed and he was uh, pulled out of the army and he moved to Barcelona, Spain and worked in a soap factory. He was arrested and executed for his faith. And he died on January 27, 1937 in Montcada in Barcelona. And his body has never been located and uh, he was declared venerable by Pope uh, Benedict XVI in May 10th, 2012, and he was uh, beatified on uh, October 13th, 2013, by Pope Francis. And that's the might-be saint of the day, Blessed Antonio Mascaro Colomina, with one more miracle. He will be declared Saint Antonio Mascaro Colima. For more information on this uh, future saint, or They Might Be Saints, the television series, you can connect to theymightbesaints.com. And on Wednesday, January 31st at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, you'll find on that website uh, information about the next episode, which is canonization. Father Al Schwartz, candidate Father Al Schwartz, dedicated his life to working with the poorest of the poor. He established youth programs and founded religious orders that still serve his worldwide mission long after his death. That's a 30-minute program, which airs on Wednesday, January 31st at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be connecting with Sister Mark Randall from the Carmelite Sisters of the Aged and Infirm, and we'll be talking about a might-be saint, Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. 
People who know me know I'm from Chicago. I'm a Chicago guy, and it's awful cold these days, and we've been buried in snow for a couple of days anyway. And uh, every time we get big snowstorms, I uh, I can't help but think back to uh, filming an episode of They Might Be Saints uh, of about uh, Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory in upstate New York uh, the, with the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged of the Aged and Infirm. It was a wonderful seri- uh, episode that uh, that came from that that effort, but I just remember the cold in the snow uh, the being there and uh, all that went into that. So it's uh, it's a great uh, it was a great experience learning about the life of Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory. And uh, on this show and in my book, they might be saints. And on the show, they might be saints. Uh, I'd like to look at the lives of future American saints, those people on the path to sainthood. That's servants of God, venerable, blessed, before they have all their miracles and are declared a saint. And uh, we we have a number of these uh, throughout the United States and one with a remarkable life. One of the most inspiring stories that I've come across in, in all my research is Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory. We're so excited today p- to be joined again by Sister Mark Randall from the Carmelite Sisters for the, of the Aged and Infirm. Welcome back to the show, Sister Mark. Thank you. Well, it's great to connect with you again, and uh, it's always good to uh, get an update on, on the causes of these uh, might-be saints. And uh, I think that uh, people around the United States uh, are still uh, learning about these uh, future saints, and I'm trying to bring them to light with the television series. But one of my favorites, as I mentioned, was uh, your mother, Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory. Uh, let's Darcy. just take it back a little bit and uh, introduce people to her, for those people who haven't heard that name. Mother Angeline Teresa was born in Northern Ireland and grew up part of her life in Northern Ireland. Then her family moved to Scotland so her father could find work because it was very difficult in Northern Ireland for Catholics at the time. So she moved to Glasgow, Scotland, and her early years were spent there as well. And she had a great love for her grandfather, and she also got to know the Little Sisters of the Poor in Glasgow. And they would visit the house as they were collecting funds for their ministry. And Mother was very attracted to their way of life and to caring for the elderly. She always had a great uh, devotion to, to the elderly. She felt they could lead lonely lives, and, and they needed love and attention. And um, looking at the lives of the little sisters, she was inspired that maybe this is something she should be doing. And what did, what did she do next? How did she take that inspiration, uh, seeing the little sisters uh, perhaps coming to her home or to other homes and yeah. helping helping the poor? What did she do next to uh, to make that a reality? Well, actually, she waited. Her, her poor father worked in a steel mill, and he had a terrible accident, and he suffered for uh, a whole month before he died. And she, she stayed another year home before she made that choice to, to move into religious life and to answer the call. So uh, she then left for France uh, eventually through London and um, became a little sister, went through the novitiate, and then ended up in the United States, her first mission. And um, she really grew to love the American people and the American way of life, and she really... Uh, her whole professed religious life basically was in the United States. She went back to make her final vows to France, but then she went back to uh, the Bronx, and she was made superior at a very young age. She was in her 30s. And she began to think that maybe more needed to be done for the elderly. You know, she was not content. She was a shy person, but she was not content to just live the status quo and care for the elderly. The way and I think that's one. Of, that's one of the for. amazing parts about yeah. her life: the the fact that she was so insightful uh, mm-hmm. to understand uh, the people of the United States, right. how they might be different right. uh, how, than how people were cared for in Europe. And then you, you all, I, I'm also in, inspired by her. Uh, you know, um, her, her stepping out in faith because she did something that uh, not many people have done, and it, was, it probably was extremely difficult for her uh, to, to decide what to do next in order to care right. for the American elderly in, in, in a unique way. Talk a little bit about the steps that she took uh, that were so difficult to going it was, forward. Well, it was a very painful experience for Mother. She 
loved the little sisters. She wanted to remain as a little sister. But at that time, it was after World War One. The community had been through a lot. The whole world had been through a lot. They'd been through the pan- the pandemic of that time too, and they just wanted to kind of preserve the status quo in the in the home. And you can understand that. But mother couldn't wait. She she just felt that she was not living her fourth vow of hospitality, and that she really wanted to provide more for the elderly, to decorate the home a bit more, to allow husbands and wives to share a room if they were able, to have more freedom for the elderly, to celebrate American holidays. This was very important to her. And as I said before, she was a shy person, but she had that deep um, faith and, and dedication, and she felt that she needed to move forward. So she got advice from her spiritual director who directed her to Cardinal Hayes in New York City. And he said, well, if this is the work of God, it will prosper. You know, if you feel this strongly, maybe you should set out on your own. So he helped her, and she and six little sisters moved into a former rectory in Upper Manhattan in 1929, a month before the stock market crashed, I might add. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> and started with seven residents, and but it was a very painful experience. As I said, Mother loved her community and did not want to have to separate herself, but it just was the only way it could be done at that particular time. Different yeah, times, amazing, different, amazing uh, courage and amazing yeah. faith to do that. And mm-hmm. uh, and we see uh, Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCroy having a. Um, a genuine love for Carmelite spirituality, and that was something that inspired her uh, in the formation of her order and going forward. Talk a little bit about uh, the connection she had with uh, with Carmelite spirituality. There were Carmelite friars in the area, and they developed a, a good relationship with the sisters. And when Mother was trying to make these decisions, it was a feast of the little flower, and one of the Carmelite friars brought her a big bouquet of roses, and she really felt that that was kind of a sign that also that she should affiliate with Carmel, but that she was doing what the Lord was asking of her at that particular point. Wonderful. And then going forward uh, all these years, we see uh, the work of uh, Mother uh, living on in in a big way uh, through your order, the Carmelite Sisters of the Aged and Infirm. Uh, Talk about uh, the spread of uh, the charism established by Mother McCrory, and uh, the influence that she's had that's uh, lived on even today. Mother certainly established many foundations in her time. Uh, foundations come and go, you know, as, as everything. Uh, some have endured to the present day, and some have needed to close, but we keep opening and closing and opening and closing and serving people in various areas of the country. We also, in 1999, developed a Carmelite system, which helped our homes in various ways with services of insurance, centralized insurance, and centralized uh, finance, and just in so many ways to relieve the burdens of our homes so that the administrators of our our homes can concentrate on caring for the elderly and not worrying about negotiating insurance contracts Mm -hmm. and the like. So over over time, things have have morphed. many ways. And uh, we continue, though, with her mission. The basic mission has not changed. It's just the way we live it out, because the field of the elderly has changed. And especially in the last few years, there's been uh, a crisis through COVID. And we feel like Mother has helped us get through this latest crisis and helped us uh, continue our mission. I don't think any nursing home is the same as it was before COVID. You know, we've had strains and stresses, and we're kind of reinventing ourselves after this latest pandemic. And um, we feel Mother's presence right with us all the way, and we pray to her to get us through this and to continue our ministry to the elderly going forward. Absolutely. And when we look at the life of uh, Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory, uh, we we see that she, she died in 1984 in her 
cause for beatification opened in 1989, and mm-hmm. she was declared venerable in 2012 by uh, right. Pope Benedict XVI. And uh, going forward, uh, looking to move from venerable to blessed with a miracle and a second miracle will get her to sainthood. When you talk about the uh, positio or the uh, academic position paper that was put together to uh, to boost her to venerable, to have her life of heroic virtue established, what are the virtues of uh, of Mother McCroy that uh, that are that are talked about even today? Her deep love of the Eucharist, which certainly in this year of focus on the Eucharist. Um, when we made our heritage center, we built a heritage center with some of her memorabilia, but we did a statue of her, but we had it um, outside, and she's mm-hmm. looking at a, at a monstrance. We had the uh, sculptor make a monstrance that she could be sitting there gazing at the Eucharist. That gave her, her strength. She, her, one of her mottos was, be kinder than kindness. So she had a great love and kindness for people. She knew people. She, With the sisters, she knew your family. She knew uh, a lot about you and tried to encourage you in your religious life. And she certainly was very kind to the residents and insisted on, on kindness and compassion, one of our core values, uh, as is the sanctity of life. Hospitality was a very strong value with mother as well, and yeah. um, shared commitment to, to work with lay staff in caring for the elderly. Those are our four core values. Absolutely. A beautiful life uh, lived mm-hmm. by Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory. And as I mentioned, her sainthood cause is open. We featured her on an episode of They Might Be Saints and in a chapter of the book, uh, They Might Be Saints as well. And so moving forward, uh, she's a venerable and will be moving to blessed uh, once a miracle has been uh, found and established by Rome as being without natural explanation. And there's there have been uh, various cases throughout the years of uh, reported miracles for people who want to seek the intercession of Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory, perhaps get a beatification prayer or learn more about her. What's the best way that people can learn more? Okay. Well, we have the Mother Angeline Society, and I would say Google that address on, online or go through the Carmelite Sisters website. It's carmelitesisters.com, and there's links to Mother Angeline's her blog, her, her society, and you'll learn more about our community and, and Mother's life that way. Wonderful. Well, we're so grateful to you, uh, Sister Mark Randall from the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm. Uh, this is a perfect time just uh, beyond the death anniversary of Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory to talk about this great future saint in our, in our American Catholic Church. Thank you so much, Sister Mark, for being Thank with you. us on the program today. Thank you. God bless. That was Sister Mark Randall from the Carmelite Sisters of the Aged and Infirm talking to us about one of the incredible uh, future American saints that is Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory. We encourage people to uh, find out more and seek her intercession for a miracle. And that's all the time we have for today's show. If you missed any of this episode or want to catch up on past episodes, you can go to EWTN.com radio, check out the audio archives, or download the free EWTN app. I'd like to thank our guest today, Matthew Arnold, talking to us about Our Lady of Good Success and Sister Mark Randall from the Carmelite Sisters of the Aged and Infirmed, giving us an update on Venerable Mother Mary Angeline Teresa McCrory's canonization cause. Check out my television program, Explore with the Miracle Hunter, Pont-Maine. I travel to Pont-Maine in France, where the Virgin Mary, under the title of Hope, Our Lady of Hope, appeared to farm children and to an army precipitating the end of the Franco-Prussian War. And I'd like to thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, or from claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth the hunt. Talk to you next week.